Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Nourish, Eat, Repeat. Today we are talking about a concept called generational health. So you may be familiar with the term generational wealth, which is where money gets passed down from generation to generation. But we're going to flip the script a little bit today and we're going to talk about generational health looking at the habits that we pass down from generation to generation. Now, before I go too far deep into this concept, I don't know if you can hear it or not, but I am battling a little bit of a head cold, so I will do my best not to hack and cough into this microphone, but it may happen, so I'm apologizing right now. I'm going to do the best I can. It is actually the week of Christmas that I'm taping this episode, and I am just probably a little more run down than, I, than I'd like to be at this point in time. Uh, I have only started Christmas shopping a few days ago, and it is not an easy thing to shop for my family members. And then on top of it, it's also Ben's birthday this week. His birthday is in two days on the 21st, and uh, I'm not ready. I was talking to clients today as they came into the office. I'm like, are you ready for Christmas? And most everybody's like, yep, I'm doing great. I'm just enjoying the holidays. And, you know, just so sad that it's going to be over shortly. And meanwhile, I'm in full panic mode, like, I've got to figure out what I'm getting everybody. I've got to wrap everything. I don't know why Christmas comes as a surprise every single year. I know it's coming and just can't seem to pull it together. Did not do Christmas cards this year. And I'm choosing not to feel bad about that. Even though it's the first time in 17 years that I will not be sending a card. Um, Just, I couldn't do it. It just wasn't on my radar. And by the time it did get on my radar, there was nothing I could do about it. So potentially, people may get New Year's cards. But even that is coming too quickly. So President's Day, Valentine's Day cards, I'll do something. It's just not going to be Christmas this year. But let's get on to the topic of generational health. What are some of those habits that we pass on from one generation to the other? So I always find it interesting when I have a client that comes in and tells me that the reason their cholesterol is so high is because they have a family history of high cholesterol. And so they look at me with their hands kind of thrown up in the air and said, you know, there's just nothing I can do. It's in my family history. And that may be true. That absolutely may be true. Some people's livers just love to make cholesterol. It doesn't matter what healthy diet they're following, how much exercise they get, their 
liver just loves to make an abundance of cholesterol and it drives their cholesterol numbers high to the point where they may need medication. But that is honestly a very, very small population. More times than not, the reason why somebody's cholesterol is high is because of poor dietary choices, lack of activity, stress, um, maybe alcohol, smoking, unhealthy lifestyle habits that sometimes can be passed down from generation to generation. So it's not that your liver is an overachiever. It's just that you're following the same recipes and habits of your parents that also were poor in nature. And now we're passing down habits from generation to generation, which is why multiple people in a family may need cholesterol medication. So today we're talking about what are those habits? What are some habits that we want to do more of because it puts us on a trajectory of health? And what are some of those habits that might be creeping in, but also are getting passed from your generation to the next generation? Because let's be honest, people are watching. Little people everywhere are watching what we do. And whether you're a parent, whether you're an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent or a teacher or any type of, have any type of influence on another human being, people watch what you do much more than listen to what you say. Right? How many times did you hear that growing up? Like, just do as I say, not as I do. And, and it never stuck because... You know, how am I supposed to take advice from somebody who can't do the habits themselves? We definitely look to our parents first and foremost as our model, right? Growing up as a kid, that is the only example we have. And so we learn different habits like how to eat, what to eat, how to move our body, how to behave after school, how to behave on a Sunday, Do, does your family take naps on the weekends, do they stay up late on Fridays and Saturdays, do they exercise when it gets cold, do they take a break, like so many of our belief system comes from what was modeled to us when we were younger. And then eventually, you know, we get to the point where we question if our parents' habits are things that we want to adopt as well. Uh, usually in our teenage years, we start to want to do the opposite of whatever our family's doing. So we become rebellious. We stay up late. We stop taking care of ourselves in any way possible because, let's be honest, the consequences aren't significant and immediate enough for us to notice a difference. Right? Like, don't brush your teeth for a week, you'll probably still be okay. Stop brushing your teeth for six months, probably not. You'll probably have some cavities. But in the beginning, we stop doing some healthy habits. We don't notice a significant change. And so we figure, huh, I can get away with it. And this is where habits develop. So again, today we're just going to talk about a few habits that you may be passing on to your like I said, to your children or to the people that are watching you. 
And I just want to create an opportunity and a space for you to do an assessment of what you're currently doing and see if there's potential for change in that area. Maybe you don't want to make any changes. You're happy with the way things are. That's great. But there may be areas where you're like, yeah, I totally could do better here. And this one's important enough to me because I don't want my kids to struggle in the same way that I struggle. So let's start with an easy one, or maybe not. (laughs) But let's start with sleep, right? What are your habits around sleep? Do you tend to go to bed the minute that you start to feel sleepy? Do you have a bedtime? Do you have a certain time that no matter what, you go to bed? I know my one very good friend, Carrie, goes to bed at 9 o'clock every day. It doesn't matter if we're visiting her at her house. She kicks us out, and then we end up spending time in her driveway and talking. Because we're not quite ready to go to bed at nine o'clock and we give her a hard time for it all the time. Um, but she goes to bed at nine. That is just her routine and she she's good for it, right? Every once in a while, she'll stay up a little past nine, but it's not often, all right? I know Carrie listens to this sometimes, so she's probably, you know, saying that's not fair, that's not true, but it is true more than it's not. Uh, or... Do your sleep habits look more like you fall asleep on the sofa and then wake up sometime around two in the morning and then have to walk up to bed and put yourself to bed and your, your sleep is disrupted every night because you're always falling asleep on the sofa. Do you need an alarm to go to bed or do you need an alarm to wake up? What does your sleep habits look like in the morning? Do you wake up as soon as your alarm goes off? Do you wake up before the alarm? Do you snooze three times, four times, five? What do your habits look like? And what do the habits of your kids look like? Is it similar? Do they follow the same patterns? Do you notice that you're constantly waking up late and then rushing around in the morning? Right? Is that something you want to change? So again, think about your sleep habits. When our kids are little, we enforce bedtimes. When they start to get older and, you know, can start making decisions for themselves, it changes. My son Parker is the worst. He's in such a bad habit right now of staying up late and then sleeping into the last possible second. And I've just kind of given up on trying to on yelling at him for it. I mean, the the consequences will be there. He will have to rush around in the morning and then run to school because they walk to school. So he'll have to run there. I'm not going to drive him if he oversleeps. That's not my, not my problem. He's 16. He needs to learn how to start being responsible. So I just want you to just ask yourself how you're doing in the area of sleep. Could you do better? And Is there an opportunity for you to model better to the people in your house and in your family? Uh, How about stress? Stress is another area. How do you handle stress? For me personally, I don't handle it well. I usually start to get really flustered and agitated. I start yelling. And now I notice that when my kids get stressed out, they yell. And ugh. 
You know, it's interesting. Usually the habits that drive us the craziest are the ones we struggle with too. And that could not be any closer to the truth. So I'm working hard at trying to lower my voice when I get stressed out, working more on breathing and modeling that for the kids so that they don't become a generation of yellers and then continue on that habit with their children. Like I want to teach them when you're feeling stressed, being able to recognize it for what it is and then taking the appropriate next steps, whether that means movement, whether that means breathing, whatever that looks like in the moment. But yelling is not one of those things that I want to do. But it's definitely a habit that can get passed on from generation to generation. All right, let's go into some more um, habits that revolve around food. All right, so does your family eat together, eat meals? Now, I would love to say that my family eats every single meal together, but it just does not happen. I work a lot of evenings. Uh, The kids are in different activities, so they have different practice nights. Um, It's just, it's a lot to manage. And the nights that we're able to eat together, we try to take advantage of it. The nights where we can't, we just do the best we can. Maybe dinners is not the time for your family to be most consistent with eating together. Maybe that's breakfast or maybe it's lunches on the weekends. There's no rule of which you have to follow. It's just an opportunity for you to get together, obviously go over your day, but a lot of our eating habits are passed along during the meal time, right? So what is your eating speed? How fast do you eat? If you're a fast eater, do you notice that everybody else is eating fast in order to keep up with you? What are your habits around paying attention to your fullness cues? Is this even a conversation that you've ever had at the dinner table? Or is it just assumed that everybody will finish their plate and a clean plate symbolizes the end of the meal? You know, growing up, we didn't have that conversation. Nobody ever talked about what it feels like to be full or to stop eating before your plate was cleaned. It was just a, here's the food on your plate. So my parents would plate the food for me. And then it was my job to just eat whatever they gave me. And you know, sometimes my parents like to show love with food. So my dad would give an uh, extra helping or he would fill my plate up with my favorites because he knew they were my favorites. But nobody ever taught me to question if that was the right volume for me. It was just, well, this is what he gave me. So this is what I'm supposed to eat. And so for years, I've really struggled with overeating at dinner time. It was just a habit that was ingrained from such a young age that it took until my 40s in adulthood to start questioning the habit and if I wanted to continue it or if I wanted to make change. So thinking about those conversations, what does it feel like to feel full versus stuffed versus sick? I had no idea there were different levels of fullness. I thought most levels of, well, I thought the only level of fullness was stuffed. 
until I started doing some more research and and some more education on my own terms to realize, oh, oh wait, this is this uncomfortable feeling. I don't have to feel that way every time I eat. That's not necessary in order to have a meaningful eating experience. Recipes, a shared meal, those traditions get passed down at the family meal. An opportunity for you to talk about your culture, your heritage, the foods that are important to your religion, to your family, preparation, how to cook a meal, how, you know, the act of cooking itself and being able to taste flavors and know when you can make change. Like maybe it needs a little more salt or maybe you needed a little bit more spice in your sauce. You know, there's a really great opportunity to learn about food through the family meal. And so do you have that shared experience or does your family prefer to eat their own personal favorites and every man is for themselves? Right? Like I know a lot of people, a lot of parents especially, that make two different meals or three or sometimes even up to four because mom is making a different meal for every single family member of the house. You know, this kid likes these foods, so I make this child that recipe, and then I make a separate recipe for this kid because he won't eat what the first kid eats. And then mom's trying to eat healthy, so she's making a salad, and dad's just trying to, you know, pull it all together and eat the leftovers of what everybody won't eat, right? It's exhausting to cook four different meals, but it's a habit that, that you know, is created when the kids are young And before you know it, you've got four adults in the house, each eating different meals, and then they're not having that opportunity to have a shared eating experience and be able to talk about the foods that are important to their family. And so then that child is going to grow up into an adult and make their children each individual meals because that's all they know. That's what was modeled to them as a kid. So I just want you to think about what does dinner, we'll just say dinner right now, what does dinner look like in your family? What are you passing down? What habits are you passing down around the meal? Whether, like I said, it's your speed, whether it's honoring your fullness levels, what that looks like, having a conversation about that. Are you having shared meal experiences where everybody's eating the same food? And if not, what are ways that you can start to unify meals so that it can be a shared experience? Because it's so important to, like I said, your culture, your religion, your family's history. Uh, Just what are some ways that you can start to integrate more cohesive instead of disconnecting habits? Uh, Cooking together. We kind of talked a little bit about having that shared experience, but cooking is such an important life skill that most adults aren't aren't doing, unfortunately. I mean, I was going to try to say it nicer, but they're just not doing it. Again, busy schedules, 
lack of knowledge themselves, not knowing how to cook because it wasn't ever taught to them. Uh, living in the land of Uber Eats and, you know, the, the uh, convenience of takeout and to go and, like I said, all those things that have made cooking now a lost art because we are in favor of the convenience era and are willing to pay for it, even if it's more expensive. Uh, we live with a lot of um, meal plans or the, um, what are they called? The meal chef options where you order online and you either assemble and cook minimally or you um, just reheat something that's ordered. Uh, so just just thinking about is this, if you are doing some of those convenient options, is it seasonally, like you're just in a season right now and you need a little bit of extra help, or um, are you starting to rely on it a little bit too frequently and could potentially bring cooking back into your family's routine? So just thinking about, uh, is that a habit that you're passing down, or are you passing down the habit of how to click buttons on your app. Uh, let's see here. Movement. All right. This is one I'm a really big fan of is letting your children see you exercise. I know it's more convenient for you to exercise when the kids aren't there. Um, but I think it's extremely important for our kids to see us as adults moving because kids will start to associate exercise with sports only. And let's face it, most of us as adults are not playing competitive sports. So after our sports days are over, whether that's high school or college, we need to know that there is exercise beyond the field or the court or whatever it is you're exercising on. And kids need to see that, how to take care of themselves. What does exercise look like when you're an adult? You know, walking is a fantastic exercise. Do you ever take your kids on walks? I know it is like pulling teeth to get my kids to go for a walk with me. You would basically think I was asking them to rip their fingernails out of their hands. Like, are you kidding me? I just asked you to go for a 20-minute walk. Ugh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to move. Well, guess what? You know, this is what it looks like to take care of your body. And so let me show you what a walk looks like. You know, and of course we talk and we have a moment and, you know, it's fantastic. But kids aren't naturally inclined to want to move outside of organized sports. Every once in a while, you'll have the kid that hates being indoors, but I find in my experience and my own kids, they would rather just sit on a computer or sit and watch a movie or whatever is the least amount of activity possible. Like I said, when I, we try to get them to be active, you would think that we're trying to torture them. So I want my kids to see what it's like to exercise. Uh, I... I exercise in my house in the morning, so I usually wake the kids up and then I go down to the first floor and work out. Uh, I just have a little, I don't know, three by six foot space 
because I try to work out in the room where the kids' desks are. So I really only have the space of a floor mat, but I let them see me work out and I let them see me lift weights. They know I go for runs. We walk sometimes. I just think it is so important to model what activity looks like as an adult for kids because we know for a fact that kids who see their parents exercising are more likely to be active when they're adults. They're more likely to be active as kids and they're more likely to be active when they're adults. And then they can then take that habit and model it for their children. And before you know it, they are an active person. But that has to start somewhere. You know, hopefully if they play an organized sport or an organized activity, they will be motivated to continue doing it, but a lot of them aren't. And so this can't be one of those like, you need to go outside and go exercise. Like show them what it looks like. Bundle up, get a coat, get an umbrella, whatever that looks like. Show them what it looks like to take care of themselves in all weathers, in all seasons, not just the not just the fair weather seasons, but the ones that you know, require them to not make excuses. I get it. It's much more convenient to sit on the sofa. But for health and for cardiac health, we need to move our bodies. So thinking about ways that you can model activity so that your kids will be more active and will be able to take care of their bodies and their health. All right, I got two more. So another way that we can model health, um, this is more in the mental health realm, is how we talk to ourselves and how we view our bodies. Negative body image absolutely can get passed down from generation to generation. You know, when you look at yourself in the mirror and how you talk to yourself in those moments, Again, kids are watching. Now, I know a lot of parents are will say to me like, oh, I make it a point not to ever talk bad about myself or my body in front of my kids. So they realize that, you know, that's not the right thing to do. But then how they look at themselves in the mirror and the faces that they make or how they touch themselves like I had a lady one time who would grab her stomach because she was just so frustrated um, with her weight gain. So even though, and her kid was in the room when she did it, and I just was like, hmm, I don't know if I would do that in front of my kid if I were you. But, you know, she was just acting out in frustration. So, you know, I don't judge her. But, you know, what are the words you say to yourself? How do you look at yourself in the mirror how do you behave when you're trying on clothes, right? What are not only the words you're saying in the moment, but you, the looks you give yourself? They're watching you, okay? They're watching. I remember my mom would get on the scale every single morning after she would get dressed. And our scale used to be in our bathroom closet. So I couldn't see what the number was when she'd get on the scale, but I could see the way her shoulders would slump down if she was disappointed. And so I learned very young that the scale is a disappointing piece of equipment. 
and that it will never say what you want it to say and how you have to just keep trying and just keep trying and, and keep dieting and keep exercising. And, and it was one of the earlier experiences that shaped my adolescence and the way I dieted and the way I exercised, um, and, you know, followed me into some really poor habits into my college years. So I wanted to share something with you because I thought this was really beautiful. Um, I was reading a book uh, a couple weeks ago, something like the people we meet on vacation or, or something like that. I, I don't know. I should have written it down and who wrote it, but it was a cute book. But anyway, the main character was doing some flashbacks of when she was younger and the mom of the main character would wake her daughter up in the morning with these really cool, awesome statements like, good morning, my be." Um, so she actually, let me back up a second. She would walk into, the mom would walk into the, the main character's room. Her name was Poppy. She would walk into Poppy's room and say, good morning, Poppy's legs, my beautiful legs who, you know, allow my daughter to walk from here to there and everywhere she wants to go every day. And then the next day she would say, good morning, my beautiful heart that shows up and pumps blood for my beautiful Poppy so she can live her best life and, and be with her friends. Good morning, my beautiful stomach that digests food for my poppy and allows her to eat her favorite things and and have energy for her day. And so I just was like, wow, how amazing is that? Like I never once heard my mom call a stomach beautiful or highlight the amazing function of my stomach. And I, I never heard her talk positively about a body part that she wasn't happy with. And so I learned not to be happy with certain body parts. And I look back now and I think of what if I learn to appreciate the function of the body parts instead of just focusing on the aesthetics. You know, I read somewhere that, you know, we should be thankful for all our body parts, especially since the body part you may be slamming or talking negative against is probably a body part that somebody else in the world is praying about. So you may hate your stomach and talk bad about your stomach and how terrible it is, but yet somebody with GI issues would kill for your stomach and praise for a healthy stomach. And meanwhile, you're talking bad about it. I don't know. It was just a definite shift and the shift of gratitude versus disgust shifted things. And so what are the words you're using to describe your body parts? And are we teaching our children to be content and thankful 
Or are we just teaching them to look at the outside? Because that negative body image and that negative self-worth will absolutely play a role into their health and happiness moving forward. So I want you to think about what are the words you say or what are the words you're not saying about your body and is there an opportunity to do better? All right, the final thing that I think can be passed down. So this one's a little bit different, um, but they come around every generation or so. So I think there's an opportunity here and that's diet trends, right? So there's constantly different trends when it comes to uh, different diets. So how many times can we recycle Atkins and, you know, just call them different names, but really they mean the same thing. Um, body shapes are trends, which is just baffling to me that our bodies can be a trend. Um, men don't technically, or I should say, don't typically have this. They just have their body, but there are tons of body trends like the waif look in the nineties. Um, then it was the, you know, having the more hourglass look was the coveted look. And it's very interesting because when you look at body shape trends, they always vacillate from one extreme to the other. And they do that so that they're unobtainable and we're constantly striving for something just a little outside of our reach. Like how can we go from the waif look, you know, with a very, very thin anorexic look, and then a couple years later go to the athletic build look where, you know, the strong muscular physique is revered. You know, so the person that's constantly chasing after trends, you know, that takes First of all, it's not even obtainable for every single person because of your body shape and size. But for the person that's constantly striving to stay on trend, they're going to hurt themselves or make themselves really sick trying to acquire a look that, you know, culturally is acceptable. But what are we teaching our kids in the process? Like, Here's an opportunity for us to say, we're not going to stand for this anymore. And we're going to celebrate all body shapes. You know, this is what it reminds me of. The other, a couple weeks ago, my friend, was, we were talking about jeans, right? And what's trendy, where before it was the high-waisted jeans, now we're back to the low-waisted jeans. And then there's the mid-rise and the, you know, the the more comfy relaxed fit and then it's the super skinny tight uh skinny jean look and I'm just like why can't all jeans be available all the time like why do we constantly have to manipulate the trends because we're basically saying that this body shape is superior to others like why not just offer all the jeans and let people choose what pants fit their bodies the best and celebrate that. Otherwise, we have to wait 20 years for the trend to come around again. 
And it's just ridiculous. I don't know. I get all fired up about this because I just, it's not necessary. Like, I understand fashion and and having different trends. I guess I'm just not fashion savvy. And I just think that all styles should be available because we are not one shaped. We're not a one shaped gender. But when we tell everybody that this is what you're supposed to look like and these are the clothes that you're supposed to look good in, and if that's not flattering to your body, you're screwed. And so generationally speaking, I think it's important that we teach our kids how to feel comfortable and how to feel confident with what God gave them and... And then celebrate that and celebrate that we all don't look the same because that would be a really boring world if we all look the same. I read somewhere like imagine a field for full of flowers. Like when you can see a whole bunch of wildflowers grow and there's so many different colors and shapes and styles, like it's a gorgeous landscape. And if every flower looked the same, it would still be pretty, but it wouldn't give you an appreciation for the uniqueness of each flower. And so I think we just need to do a better job at saying no to trends that, number one, potentially harm ourselves and harm other women, both mentally and physically. And we show others that we're not going to, we're not okay with this. And this is how we take care of our bodies and our, our minds by creating boundaries around what is a trend, what's acceptable to be a trend and what's not. Because our body shapes and our body sizes are not trends. Okay? You are not a trend. You are a human being with so much to offer the world. We are not going to get sucked up into this. So... There you go. I want you to think about some of these different areas, whether it's taking care of yourself in terms of sleep, stress, cooking, grocery shopping, eating, meals, movement, uh, body positivity, how you talk about yourself, and body trends. All right. I want you to think about what are your beliefs around each one of these areas And what are you passing down to your kids? Not just the words you're saying, but your actions. And how can we change the trajectory of the future in terms of disease prevention and disease management? How can we do better? All right, guys, it's time for your recipe. So I actually found this in one of the giant circular magazines and I thought this looked really delicious so I have this on my radar to make but I figured I'd share it with you first and maybe we can all make it together so this is a pork tenderloin with jicama grapefruit salsa for this recipe you're going to need four cloves of garlic minced a tablespoon of dried oregano two tablespoons of olive oil two tablespoons of lime juice a pound and a half of a pork tenderloin, two large grapefruit, one and a half cups of peeled and diced jicama, one red bell pepper seeded and diced, 
a quarter cup of chopped cilantro, and one jalapeno seeded and finely chopped. I'll be honest, when I'm making this, it'll probably be half of a jalapeno because I do not like too spicy. All right, so we're going to start by grabbing a large resealable bag, so like a big, huge gallon Ziploc bag. And we're going to add the garlic, oregano, oil, and lime juice, a little bit of salt and pepper, and add the pork and massage until fully coated. So we're basically just creating a marinade here and then refrigerate it 30 minutes or up to overnight. Next, you're going to cut and peel the grapefruit and then over a large bowl um, with a sharp knife, segment the grapefruit, reserving any juice that is also in the bowl, and then add the jicama, bell pepper, cilantro, and jalapeno, toss to combine, and cover and refrigerate that until you're ready to serve. Finally, you're going to preheat the oven to 450 degrees, line a baking sheet with parchment paper, remove the pork tenderloin from the marinade, go ahead and discard the rest of the marinade, pat the pork dry with paper towels and place on the baking sheet. Go ahead and roast that for 15 to 20 minutes or until a meat thermometer says 145 degrees. Let it rest five minutes before slicing and then serve with the grapefruit jicama salsa. So really, really simple. I know it's a couple of steps, but known, none of those known, none of those steps are particularly difficult. Uh, the only thing that you're going to want to make sure you do ahead of time is create that marinade, let it sit overnight because that's what makes it super yummy. So, all right, guys, we did it. I think I did it without coughing. So pretty proud of myself for that. But um, thank you guys so much for joining me. As always, it is a pleasure and a privilege to be able to share this information with you each week. And I'm just really thankful for all of you listeners and for your support. All right. Have a fabulous week and I'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at bodymetricshealth. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrienne Delgado and I'll see you next week.